Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to the 40th chapter of the book of Isaiah. I'm going to read through the entirety of the chapter for us, and then we will break it down. Verse 1, comfort my people. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that her time of forced labor is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned, and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins, a voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness, make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up, and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will appear, and all humanity together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice was saying, cry out. Another said, well, what should I cry out? All humanity is grass, and all its goodness is like the flower of the field. Verse 7, the grass withers. The flowers fade when the breath of the Lord blows on them. Indeed, the people are grass, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. Zion, herald of good news, go up on a mountain, on a high mountain. Jerusalem, herald of good news, raise your voice loudly, raise it, do not be afraid. Say to the cities, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with strength. And his power establishes his rule. His wages are with him and his reward accompanies him. He protects his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lamb in his arms and carries them into the fold of his garment. He gently leads those that are nursing. Who has measured the water in the hollow of his hand? Or marked off the heavens within the span of his hand. Who has gathered the dust of the earth in measure. Or weighed the mountains on balance and the hills on the scales. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord. Or who gave him counsel. Who did he consult. Who gave him understanding. And who taught him the paths of justice. Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding. Look the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are considered as a speck of dust on the scales. He lifts up the islands like fine dust. Lebanon's cedars are not enough for fuel or its animals enough for burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are considered by him as empty nothingness. With whom will you compare our God? What likeness will you set up for comparison with him? An idol? Something that... A smelter casts and a metal worker plates with gold and makes silver chains for. A poor person contributes wood for a pedestal. That, was, that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not fall over. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the very beginning? Have you not considered the foundations of the earth? God is enthroned above the, the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out like the heavens, like thin cloth, and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He reduces princes to nothing. And makes judges of the earth like a wasteland. They are barely planted, barely sown. Their stem hardly takes root in the ground. When he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind carries them away like stubble. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Ask the Holy One. Look, 
up and see who created these. He brings out the stars by number. He calls all of them by name. Because of his great power and strength, not one of them is missing. Our focal text for today, beginning in verse 27. Jacob, why do you say, and Israel, why do you assert, my way is hidden from the Lord and my claim is ignored by my God? Do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Youths may become faint and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and they will not faint. In Isaiah, you have a situation with the people where they have abandoned God. And because of that, they feel forgotten. If you have ever felt forgotten, say forgotten. Being forgotten is the absolute worst. Whether it's a funny scenario like... Kevin McAllister dealt with in Home Alone, or it is a serious scenario where you feel alone and all by yourself throughout the entirety of your uh, your existence, being forgotten is not the best thing ever. Uh, If you have a December birthday, there is a great chance in your life at some point you have been forgotten. Someone has shown up to your home with your Christmas present and the They attached to the present as they gave it to you. Oh, this is for your birthday as well. Those are the worst people ever. Don't do that to people. That's not kind. I had one friend when I was in seminary. He's still my friend. Uh, His name is Corey. And Corey had a December birthday and he usually felt forgotten. We were going to throw a surprise party for him. Both of us were working at a church at the time, the same church actually. We were having the end of the year Christmas party and as it's coming to its conclusion, I have been given the task of getting him to the surprise party. But because it's a Wednesday night when seminary students are indentured slaves to churches all around the area, I had to make sure <laughs> I had to make sure that he was entertained so everyone could Uh, gathered together where we were going to celebrate this festivity, which was an international house of pancakes. That has nothing to do with the story, but that's where we were going. So as we're in the car, I'm saying things to him, and I'm asking questions of him, like, what do you want to do? And he is sad. And he would not give me an answer. And so I began to give him various options for us to to do. And and he went from sadness to sulking. And you've probably been there. If you've ever noticed a child do this, it was the exact same thing with a 23-year-old man. And as he began to sulk in the car, I had to think to myself, what am I going to do? And there comes a point in the conversation where he said, what would you feel like if everyone forgot your birthday? And I'm not very good at keeping secrets, but I kept it that night. I wanted to out everyone and say, we've got a surprise party for you at the cheapest place we could find. (laughs) I let him know that 
My plan that evening was to take him to the mall and pick something out for his birthday. And by, that was not my plan, by the way. I did not have plans at that point in my life where I could take people and buy them gifts on the fly as if I'm some grandmother. But we went to the mall, and then we eventually go to his birthday party, and it hits him. I have been remembered. All of this time, I felt forgotten, and I, now I see that I've been remembered. And God wants us to know that in the midst of our forgottenness, that he remembers us. He sees our pain. He also knows our rebellion. He understands that our hearts are undisciplined and they are far from him. And he has, inserved, he has observed our unfortunate prolonged circumstances. Some of them that we have chosen. Some of them that we have created. And he remembers our unfaithfulness and our disobedience. Yet our God is faithful. Even if we are faithless, he will remain faithful because as Timothy says to us in 2 Timothy, he will not disown himself. That is who he is. The nation of Israel at this point in history is incredibly rebellious. They are on the other side of said rebellion, yet they are dealing with being overran, mistreated by various other governments. What was their rebellion situation? There was a nation called Assyria. They were the big bad of that point in history. The second big bad that was coming along behind them was a nation called Babylon. You are more familiar with Babylon than you are Assyria, yet Assyria is a horrific place led by a man named Tiglath-Pileser III. You may have heard me say that name before. Tiglath-Pileser III was such a horrific person, he ate puppies for breakfast. That's who he was. That's a joke, kids. Didn't really, but anyway. So, to avoid the nation of Israel, for them to avoid the wrath of Assyria, they asked Babylon to help them. They asked Babylon to come alongside of them, and in so doing, they invite them into their temple, they invite them into their palace, they invite them in, and they show their things off, saying, if you will just line yourself up with us... We will overthrow Assyria, and in so doing, they have allowed another villain to be part of their story. They have fused a foreign god with the actual real god of the Bible. They have connected and combined. So just for the point of reference, for perspective, to avoid the wrath of North Korea, they have struck a deal with ISIS. Maybe that doesn't make sense to you. Maybe you're a sports head and not geopolitical. To avoid the evil of Bill Belichick, they have made a deal with Nick Saban. That may not make sense either. To avoid the wrath of Palpatine and Darth Vader, they have struck a deal with Voldemort. This situation in history is problematic, yet this situation in history is very much reflective of the way that we respond to God at times. On the other side of this, the nation of Israel is in this state of being forgotten. God, you've left us here because God punished them for this, for their own, for their shortcomings, for, for their attempting to align with something that was unlike him. How often do we align our hearts with things that have nothing to do with our God? The nation of Israel, in verse 27, comes to God with a question, and that question is a simple, where are you? 
I feel forgotten. If you've ever felt forgotten, say forgotten. Where are you, God? I know I made mistakes. I know I've done dumb things, but I feel like I have been forgotten. God, where are you? Where are you? I, I, I read the Bible and I pray, and there are things that I believe are supposed to be happening, yet I don't see them happening. Where are you? You have forgotten me. God, what I'm doing all of these things, what are you doing? This is an honest space. We try to create honest spaces. That's why we surround you with plywood. And as we look at the honesty of what's taking place here, I believe that there are many of us who our heads are in line with God, what God teaches about his providence and his sovereignty and his love. And you, in a conversation with me as your pastor, or Jared as your pastor, or maybe your life group leader, you give really good church speak to scenario and situation that seem to be difficult for you. But in our heart of hearts, in our deepest, darkest moments, when life doesn't seem to be going the way that we would like for it to go, we, in the most honest way should be able to admit that we have these moments where we ask God, where is he? Where is he? God, what have you done? God, in all, I'm doing all that I can on this side of my situation. What have you done? Again, to verse 27. Jacob, God asks, why do you say, in Israel, why do you assert my way is hidden from the Lord and my claim is ignored by my God. The phrase there in the original language, it actually reads, why do you keep saying this over and over and over? Why do you keep asking, where it, why is there not blessing? Why do your situations keep, you keep bringing up why, that you believe that I have failed you because you're dealing with this or you're struggling with that? We are very much like the nation of Israel in that we know what we want and it doesn't seem as if God is giving that to us. The, the way that Israel is expressing this is not even a prayer. It's not that they're talking to God. They're actually talking about Him because they believe that God has failed them. Do you ever see that in your own life when you are talking about God as opposed to talking to Him? You spend more time talking about how he has failed you than how faithful he has been to you. Why is God asking this? Why is God, in verse 27, using Isaiah to form and formulate this question in this way? Why do you say, why do you assert, my way is hidden from God? Why are you asking, where am I? And what's the point that God, of God bringing this up to us? What is his goal? I love the Bible because it unpacks itself. The reason that I read through the entirety of chapter 40 is because chapter 40 gives us what God is doing. This idea of what they perceive to be God's absence is not necessarily about him condemning them. God wants them to know who he is, and he lets us know the reason this text works the way that it does. What is God trying to show them when he asks this question? Is God poking at them, mocking them, making fun of them? And in so doing, does that mean that God is making fun of, mocking us, overlooking us? No. The reason that God, Israel, with this question, 
is because he wants to bring them to a place where they see that he is their comfort. Turn back to verse 1 of chapter 40. I didn't hear you turn the page, and I know this is a long chapter. Turn your page. Verse, verse 1. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Read that out loud. Comfort. Comfort my people. So this is how introversion works. I tell you to do something aloud, and you don't quite respond. So I want you to read that to yourself, but I want you to read it using words aloud. Comfort, comfort my people. God is offering the nation of Israel comfort. Well, what is he using to comfort them? Verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God? He's the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint nor weary. There's no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the faint. And he gives strength to the powerless. So God attempts to comfort them not by offering something new and doing something different, but by reminding them of what he has done and how he has been constant. If you're taking notes, here's some good things that we see from this passage. Number one, we see that in this passage that God is the creator. You see that in, early on. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He creates, which means that he doesn't just create everything. He made you. Not only does he create, he cares. He does not grow tired of you. He never becomes faint or weary. So remember, as we're walking through this passage together, this is talking to the nation of Israel, but there's a personal, caring tone here. And God is saying that I don't get tired of you. Now, we're on the other side of Christmas. Days removed from us being at homes where we are piling entire families into a room that typically belongs to an 11-year-old? We get tired of each other over Christmas. Am I right? We're, you can admit that. Shake, just, if they're with you this morning, no, I love them. So we know this. We grow tired. We grow faint. We grow exhausted. God doesn't do that. For those of us in relationship with God, what He promises you is, I, I, don't, go, I don't grow tired of you. you. He doesn't grow weary of you. There are not moments where God rolls His eyes at you. Where He is so frustrated. We envision God to be what I am on my worst day. Exhausted, overwhelmed, Unable to deal with the shenanigans of those hooligans who live in my home. That laugh was a little too loud. My kids are good. God isn't exhausted. No matter how much you fail, and you fail. No matter how many shortcomings you have, and they're there. If you don't know your shortcomings, ask your spouse. Husbands, do not answer them. God's not exhausted of you. I love that because I grow exhausted of me. I'm a tiring old soul. 
He does not grow tired of you. We also see that we're on his, his clock. His clock. He is everlasting. He says that early and he, says, and he shows that by the, the words that follow. Finally, we see his counsel. There is no limit to what he knows. There is no limit to the vast expanse of the knowledge of God. Tim Keller says that if you knew everything God knows, you would do everything that God does. I love that. But I don't know those things. But God is limitless in his knowledge. We actually see God playing to that in what he allows Isaiah to show us in these earlier verses. As God points out geopolitical issues that the nation of Israel has dealt with through history. As God shows the science of Him being the creator of all things, who made things and holds all things together. God shows who He is throughout the entirety of this chapter. That's why we read it. To show that God is not good, that art is in the hands of God. That God creates things. That God is limitless in His knowledge. Who is this? What can we know about God? Very simple. He creates. He cares. He has. We are on His clock and we trust His counsel. So if I know those things about God, what should I know about me? What should you know about you? Well, I'm glad that you asked because the Bible gives us answers to that too. Verse 30. Youth may become faint and weary... Young men stumble and fall. So in a world where God creates, He cares, He, he is over all things, and he, he, His counsel matters, you are a created being. You need to be cared for. You are not on your own clock. You're actually on His. You're a finite being, and you need His wise counsel. And I love that the writer of the book of Isaiah, named Isaiah, says it this way. He is saying, youths may become faint and weary. Youths. Us at our best. Before life beats and bogs you down, you grow tired and weary. When I was 17 years old, the things that I would... I was never a great athlete we're waiting for that. I'm probably on the other side of 45. My athleticism will peak. But I used to play basketball for hours every weekend. I, I was 17, 18, 19, 20. We would play from 11 o'clock in the day when we woke up until 7 or 8 at night. And... I would wake up the next day and we would do it again as if there wasn't something that was pressing on our schedule. I could do, do you realize that if I go to the recreation center with my children now and I walk in the gym and watch other people play basketball, I wake up the next morning with aches and pains in places I did not know even existed. There are muscles that hurt on me now that I did not know were part of the human anatomy. Because I'm old-er. This passage says that this is us at our best. We are to remember that we're created. That we need someone to care for us. The clock doesn't belong to us. That we need the wise counsel of God. Y young men in that phrase is another important wording. Young men, in the original language, 
It means the select. The best of the best. So imagine the basketball court in an elementary school and you're not going to play basketball because no one can get the ball to the goal, but you're going to play dodgeball. And you make two captains. And because you've created these two captains, they look at everyone else, the other 28 children out there, and they begin to pick teams. Well, who do they pick first? Well, if there's no teacher involved, and we know the teachers aren't involved, they're sitting and resting because they teach children. They pick the better players first. The, the language of Isaiah communicates to us that this, these young men are the best of the best. And God is saying everything that you offer, the best that you have to offer, are still going to grow tired, still going to grow weary, still going to go exhausted. John Calvin says this, Nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts. The knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. The knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. So, when we look at this text and what Isaiah communicates to us in these few verses, he is pointing out that we need to realize who we are. Do we realize who we are? In the chasm of time that is existence. Are we expecting God to operate on our clock? Are we expecting God to do what we believe is best? Are we forgetting that we're created and that we need to be cared for as opposed to the opposite of those? The passage, I love, it gives us an option though. It lets us know as people who are created, who need to be cared for, who are, on our own, who are not on our own clock, and who need the wise counsel of God. This is what God offers you. What can I have? You see it in verse 31. Those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and they will not become weary. They will walk and they will not grow faint. Those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. We, uh, Paul says it this way. He, he's pointing out to us. Isaiah is pointing out to us what Paul will affirm later when he wrote 2 Corinthians. This is not so much about, uh, about us looking and seeing that life is difficult and and not knowing what to do. What Paul says to us is, we are pressured in every way. But for those who trust in the Lord, we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Paul is saying to us the truth of this passage. And the truth of this passage is this. Those who lean into what God has offered them in Jesus... Those who trust in that and who run to that when life is full of questions, when we, when we need to know that we need the wise counsel of God, we'll find rest there. We may not find the answers that we want. That's not how life works. But we'll be able to rest in the fact that God is our creator, that he cares for us, that he loves us. Verse 31 Closes and it says this they will soar on wings like eagles, and they will run and not become weary, they will walk and not become faint. One commentator points out this almost seems backwards, doesn't it seem backwards to you? 
You're going to fly, and then you're going to run, and then you're going to walk. The phrase that we use is you've got to walk before you can crawl. You've said that at some point, I'm sure. You have to to walk, crawl before you walk, not walk before you crawl. That's like Benjamin Button. You have to crawl before you walk. This passage seems to be undoing that. What is God pointing out to us through Isaiah? We need to see the symbolic to take hold of the literal. They will soar on wings like eagles. Means that we consider that God in his wisdom has allowed us to approach his heavenly presence. And for those who are spending time in the heavenly presence of God, who are trusting and depending on him, when you're running in this difficult life, he will sustain you. Experience something supernatural. You will walk and not grow faint. Why? Because you are, even in those moments where you're exhausted, you'll see that He is your strength. God is communicating to us that He's our strength above all things. And His comfort is there for us. So what are we to do with the teachings of this passage in light of what God has said to us as to how we live as people who are waiting on Him patiently, faithfully trusting Him, hoping to see Him accomplish what only He can accomplish? I love what Isaiah says in verse 2, or 3. He says this, A voice of one crying out, Prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. He's communicating to, to the hearer and he's communicating to us by proxy that God would have us to see and have us to know that we are to be people. If we're going to re- trust in his strength and live in light of that, that we are created by him, we're counseled by him, we're sustained by him, we're sent by him, that we are to be people who are preparing the way of the Lord. These are words that echo the, the words of John the Baptist. John the Baptist will say this very phrase. So we will make straight, make a straight highway for our God in the desert, in a place where you would think there was no highway. We make one. That we are about the process of taking steps to show our sustainer as real and true and as someone who holds us and cares for us. So, so my kids, they are funny. There are moments for them where they are building things in the backyard. I don't know where they, what they build these things from. We don't have any trees. Should probably find one of those. But they'll take rocks and they will begin to build things and they'll want to show me what they're building, especially the smallest boy. Daddy, come and see what I'm doing. I'm building a tower. Now, I know good and well, it's not Babel. My child does not have a tower in the backyard. Come and see. See what I'm doing. And I walk out. And sure enough, though this child believes that he is making a tower, building a tower, there is nothing there that looks like a tower. He's bringing me somewhere to show me something that is not what he says that it is. So if we're going to be followers of Jesus, how does this help us? And the simple question that I would ask of us this morning as we sit in this room and consider 2020, which is around the corner, 2020, Barbara Walters. How many of us are claiming to be people who are saying, prepare the way of the Lord? 
How many of us would say that we are followers of Jesus, seeking to show Jesus in this world? How many of us would be, like my son, telling me to come see something that when we look at you, it's not actually there? You're claiming one thing and you're offering another. The way that we would claim what God has offered us here would be to renew would be to find our strength in him would be to find our direction from him would be for us to see that we are people who've been called by God to make a straight highway in the desert to show that God is true and faithful and real even though what we walk through doesn't seem to be the greatest situation or circumstance that we believe that God is the one who carries us through and that every one of us in this room right now have situations and scenarios on our hearts and minds where we have to wrestle with this. Am I seeing the opportunity to prepare the way of the Lord to make straight a path in the wilderness and desert of my life that says that this Jesus, he is faithful to me even though I don't always, it doesn't always seem like he's that. Let's do this this morning. I want you to bow your heads with me. And I want us to think about next year, which is literally next week. What steps are we taking now to prepare the way of the Lord? To make straight in the desert a highway for the Lord our God. Are we showing that He's faithful and true and that He's good? Are we making decisions... And in the decisions that we make, are we showing that he's faithful and true and he's good? Are we making moral decisions that point to the ultimate morality that we have in Jesus as the one who makes us whole? In those situations that are not right or wrong, they're more right or left. Are we honoring God as we go in those directions? Because so many of us are faint and weary. And we have stumbled and we have fallen. But we need to hear this morning that those who trust in the Lord have their strength renewed. So let's trust Him going into this week and considering what it means to trust Him in the upcoming year. Lord Jesus, we thank You for this body of believers that You've faithfully entrusted to to us as the elders and pastors of this church. I thank you for your love for them, your, your heart for them. Lord, and so many of them right now feel forgotten. I pray that in the midst of their forgottenness, that they'll see you're there. In the drought that they're in, they'll know that you're for them. In what seems pathless, they will know that you are the path. Jesus, we trust you this morning. And I pray that we will be highway makers, preparing the way of the Lord 
We ask all this in your powerful name. I'm in the back right, my right-hand corner, your left-hand corner of the room. If you need to pray with me, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to follow up with you and encourage you. Thankful that we're here today. Let's sing together.